Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. All right, we're on Foundations. Um, we, we've been on this journey for quite a while, as you know. We've been looking basically at what um, uh, Paul taught the early church. We're looking at how, and this is a sort of list of stuff we've been through, reforming your conduct, the fruit of the Spirit, family relationships, true community, conduct to outsiders. And last Sunday I did the submitting to governing authorities and this week and next week, we're going to look at this little phrase about responsible living, about being watchful and sober or sober and watchful. And so next, next Sunday, what I'm going to do, I'm going to do a little bit on the First Peter 5, 8, which some of you will know, you know, to watch out because your enemy goes about his roaring land, seeking whom he may devour, and all of that. So, but this week, was, I, I mean, um, what, what, what um, sparked this, this week was uh, last Thursday night, I I was sat in our board meeting. We have a great team of people who look after our finances and all our legalities. And uh, so that was a board meeting last Thursday. Thursday before, I actually chair the Links Counseling Board. So we had Links Counseling. So two, last two Thursdays, I've sat in two of our boards and went home feeling um, the, the need to raise my prayer life. I went home so thankful and blessed that the men and women that we have that sit around those tables that give up over and above of their time and their abilities, and it's really, really good. But the two big things that hinder our, our work mostly at times are buildings and finances. And somebody once said, you spell vision, M-O-N-E-Y, and that's kind of true. And we know that God that gives vision gives provision, and we understand all of that. But there's something I feel went home on Thursday night with a bit of a burden. I, I was blessed by the people who were in the room, but I went home with a burden to, to raise my antenna, to raise my level of prayer. And so hence, I'm going to talk to us a little bit about this idea of being watchful and sober, because there's something about, I, I want you to expect something. So all I want to do this morning is I want to raise your level of expectancy. Everybody who's in ministry here this morning in any shape or form, the charities that are represented here, like Reach and Aspire, so on and so on, um, the, 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 they'll know this. They'll know this. Money is always the thing that you're beating the drum for. Um, um, room to do your ministry, fi finances and buildings are always a thing. So there's something about, I'd love you to leave here this morning expecting, all right? I know some of you are looking very nervous now, all right? So I want you leaving with an expectancy in your soul, something that you, so why I wrote it on the board is I want it to stay up there. I want it to get into your vision and be part of who you are because there's something about knowing what's going on in our day and age. We're living in, 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 very precarious times. If you're watching the same news I'm watching, you, you, it, it, seems like, it seems like all the ducks are getting into a row. It feels like there's an alignment coming, and that alignment, when that alignment slides into place, there's a door open for the King of Glory. And it feels, and I feel, I'm 60 this year, but I feel like 
I feel like I'm living in the era. I feel like I was born for this hour. I feel like I'm living in the era and in the day of the return of Jesus. I feel that in my bones and I feel it in my spirit and I feel it more today than I've ever felt it before. And Jesus, when he was speaking to the Pharisees, he rebuked the Pharisees. He said to the Pharisees, how come you're able to read the weather and you can't discern the times? So he said to the Pharisees, you can say, red sky in the morning is shepherd's warning, red sky at night, shepherd delight. That's not just an old saying, that's actually in the Bible. Jesus said that to the Pharisees. And he says, you can look at the, look at the sky and determine the weather, but you actually can't discern the times. Such is the challenge that he gave to the Pharisees. And in First Chronicles 12, I think it is, First Chronicles 12, is in around 40, 30 to 40, there, it's given a list of the, the mighty men, of, of David's mighty men, and it comes to a group of one of the, one of the tribes was called the sons of Ezekiel. And it says this about the sons of Ezekiel, that they understood the times, and they knew what Israel should do. That's exactly what it says in the ESV. So they understood the times. Here was a group of people who knew the day and age in which we're living. So if we're going to be sober and watchful, we need to know the day and hour in which we live. We need to know the spiritual climate. I said our elders all the time that we're not thermometers, we're thermostats. And there's a difference. A thermometer takes the temperature, a thermostat sets the temperature. And so as elders in this house, my challenge to them all the time is that we be thermostats thermostats. Let's set the temperature. When it comes to our prayer life, let's set the temperature. Let's not just always be dipping our toe in the water and see what the temperature is. That's, that's thermometers. And sometimes it's important to do that, but it's important to be thermostats. And as people of God, God has called us to be the thermostats in our environments that go into our environments and set the climate for what is going on. And so we've got to create this atmosphere of expectancy. Who watched Britain's Got Talent last night? Come on. Oh, I love Britain's Got Talent. And um, did, what, about the, what about the father and wee boy last night? Oh, man. Half a box of tissues. Oh, so goodness. And um, the two guys, the two guys done um, New York, New York. I, I don't know how you noticed when they sang, all of the judges said a little statement. They all said, you carried something into the room. There was like a, there was a different atmosphere. There was something changed when you walk into the room because you see everybody carries an atmosphere. All of us carry an atmosphere. You've, you, you know, you've been around people, haven't you? And when you've left them, you've went, ooh, I need a shower. You know, you, know, you know what I'm saying? Because they carry a negative atmosphere. And then there's people that you leave them and, you, and, and, and I, I, I'd love to think that when I leave people, I leave them feeling a little bit better about themselves, a little bit more faith in, in where they are. And so that must be our atmosphere. And so getting around God is not just about coming to church. It's not just about going to the prayer meeting, which is all wonderful. This is about carrying that atmosphere into the into the workplace, into our schools, into environments, into our unis, all of that. Last week, if you're reading uh, my little ramble in my email, I talked about the difference between um, knowing Jesus as your Savior and knowing him as your Lord. If you haven't got that, sign up for the little weekly email and you'll get my ramble, which happened on an EasyJet flight between Alan and Dave, like this here. Um, you, I don't know why you've ever sat in the middle seat between Alan and Dave. It's not fun, I can tell you. But um, this is there, sort of. But uh, um, and uh, I was I was thinking about this idea of 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 how we can trust Jesus as our Savior, and that's really important. And when you trust Jesus as your Savior, what you do is you put you you depend on all that Jesus has done. 
That's right. He has finished the work. We can't add to it. We can't take away from it. The finished work of Christ on the cross is what we throw our whole weight on when it comes to salvation. But you see, the New Testament's full of, of, of trusting Jesus as our Lord. And when we trust Jesus as our Lord, the onus shifts. And the onus shifts onto us a little bit. So now there's an expectation. You see, when, when we get this salvation, there's an expectation to live into it and to live up to it. That's why, again, the writer to the Hebrews says, how shall you escape if you neglect this great salvation? That wasn't written to the unbeliever that we preached from that, and rightfully so, we can do that. But it's out of context, really. The context was that the Hebrews, I've told you this before, was probably written by a Hebrew to the Hebrews to tell them to stop acting like Hebrews because they kept going back to their old way of life. And so it was a challenge. Come on. He says, how are you, how are you going to escape if you neglect this salvation? This, is, this was a challenge to the believer. And so there's something that we have to do as we trust Jesus as our Lord, as we step into this, we've got to start doing something. We've got to start living that faith out. And so when, when I hear people saying this all the time, I wrote this in my little ramble, you know, well, I'm just waiting on God coming through for me. I'm just waiting for my breakthrough. I'm just waiting on God, boom, 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 boom. And then I read the Bible in James 5, 8, and it says, when I draw near to God, he actually draws near to me. You can notice the order that God said, no, 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 no. And, and so I've done it too. I've bargained with God as well. I've said, God, if you would just do this, this, and this, and if you would save them, them, and them. I have done it in church. I've said, God, if you would save, if you would save three or four people in church this morning, I'd do this, this, and this. And then I began to realize that is so wrong. That is so wrong. No, God said, no, 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 son. You do this, this, and this, and then I'll, I'll turn up. That's the, that's the process of the New Testament. And so this is really important that we understand this, that we understand that this is life-changing. Now, three things that I think are really powerful when it comes to understanding God and understanding how to be watchful and sober in the things of God. I didn't go hunting for them to make sure they all started with pay, I promise. Um, they just did. Prayer, praise, and power. There's something that happens when we pray. There's something that happens when we praise. There's something that happens when we understand the power that is at our disposal. Something really powerful in those three things. And when we understand this, something really happens. We get the presence of God, which is an amazing thing. And we begin to realize that the face of God is towards us. I grew up in a, in a background where when you, when, when you heard about the face of God towards you, you thought you were going to get burned up. You thought it was wrath. You thought, I'm going to, oh, God's so angry with me. He's looking at me. Whereas we, we, we understand that God's face is towards us in acceptance and grace and his love, as Grant rightfully said at the start, is really powerful. And if you're in here this morning and you're still struggling to be accepted, I, here's your homework, Right? I want you to take your Bible when you go home and I want you to open it at Ephesians chapter 1 and I want you to go and get a highlighter or a pen or something and underline almost in every verse, almost in every verse, there's something about what God has done for you. It's the most beautiful chapter in all the Bible. Blessed us, chosen us, even before the foundation of the world, predestined us. That just means that he worked out a plan for you long before you were born. Ephesians 2.10, the next chapter, verse 10, actually says that he, he created works for you to do. He actually designed the works that he wants you to do. So instead of you doing the, thing, the wee things that you would like to do, he has created stuff for you to do. 
accepted us, redemption through his blood, abounded towards us in wisdom, revealed to us the mystery of his will, gave us an inheritance, and made us the praise of his glory. And verse 13 backs it all up and says he seals it all with the Holy Spirit. It's like tying the knot in the top of the bag. Just <laughs> Here's the bag of tricks. And it's all, all towards you. It's all towards you. It's all this, this blessedness that comes from the throne. It is so, so beautiful. And so on, I'm going to suggest this morning that there's something about a place and a time and a discipline of getting with God and building that relationship with God that puts fire and ignition into your prayer life. Now, there's a story in um, John chapter 12, the first seven verses, and it's the story of Mary busting the alabaster box over Jesus' feet. Let me just read it because there's a couple of little things I want to highlight in this. It says, six days, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, and uh, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclined at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the atmosphere. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wage. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Pretty daunting phrase that, isn't it? As believers, we, as believers, we're given a responsibility to carry some stuff for God. I wonder when, I wonder do we just dip our hand in the bag and gratify our own lusts? I'm not talking about, about finance here. I'm just talking about the things of God. We're carriers of the atmosphere of his presence. But sometimes it's more about us than it is about him. And we just dip our hands into the bag and we do what suits ourselves. That's what Judas done. And the Bible calls him a thief. It's, it's, it's kind of scary, isn't it? This, this is, right, okay. Um, <clears throat> Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that you save the perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. It's interesting that all four Gospels, actually all four Gospels aren't quite normal to record all the stories, but all four of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all record this incredible story. And um, there's something about it. There's something, he says, the poor, you'll always have the poor. It's great to hear the, the work of compassion ministry. But you know, um, compassion has to come out of relationship with God. If we're just going to do it because it makes us feel good, then it's just, it's just a ministry. And, and ministry will, if the, for those of you involved in ministry, it will eat you up and spit you out. All right? Because the poor you'll always have. There'll always be ministry. Ministry always presents itself when there's a need, and there's always going to be need. Jesus said that. But we've got, to be, we've got to understand that first and foremost, seek first the kingdom of God, and it's out of our relationship with God that actually we do these things. And if we're just doing ministry and not looking after our relationship with God, then we just, we just dry up and burn out. Um, a couple of wee things that I want to highlight about this here that's really important um, I, 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 I love the fact that she, she just gave extravagantly. 
She just gave extravagantly. God's a giver, you see. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave, and he gave, so she gave. And true love doesn't keep records. And if you're still counting um, out your offerings, you haven't caught his real value. You need to give extravagantly. And this isn't a plea for more money, all right? But listen, I should say this. I should say this. All right, there is a principle in the Bible of tithing. And tithe is, is 10% of your income, all right? And it says, bring it into the storehouse. And, and if I, I, I was working out a little figure in my head sitting in the study yesterday or Friday, and I messaged the management team to ask them, was I right in my figure? And I've estimated, I've estimated that in 22 years, we've sown over a million pounds into different projects, over a million pounds in the last 22 years. And I think that's a pretty conservative. And that's, that's just monies that you give. And, and that's sown into the kingdom. And when you sow something, you can expect a harvest. And so we're at a point now where there's a nation that needs Jesus. There's the, the Cara guys need a building in Craig Evan. And uh, we've been praying for the West Eckers building. We need, we, need, we need to now expect. We need to... We need to be looking and praying with a fresh measure of expectancy. And we need to give. We need to give extravagantly. Second thing was the house was filled with the fragrance. Everybody got a, a, a sniff of this because passionate people always leave an atmosphere. They're not status quo. And, and you have the ability to change the atmosphere around you. If you don't agree with that, read Acts 16, 25 to 31. You'll find two boys, Paul and Silas, are in a prison. They're, they're in, in stocks. So their hands and feet shackled. They've got prison guards around them. They're in the inner prison. What do they do? Everybody's moping. Everybody's depressed. Everybody's about to die. They start to sing, worship, and pray. And everybody hears them because they lift their voice. And something happens as they lift their voice. They change the atmosphere. And here's the cool thing. They didn't just change the atmosphere in the prison. They changed it in the heavenly realm. And heaven came down because what happens when you change the atmosphere in your prayer life, you just don't change it around you. You pull something from the heavenly realm down into this kingdom, down onto the earth. So it's let your kingdom come and be on earth as it is in heaven. How do we do that? We do it through our prayer life. We do it by catching hold, of, as it were, of the kingdom of heaven and pulling it by the lapels, by our prayers, down into this earth. It's a beautiful thing. And Acts 16 is a great example of that. Here's the third thing. Not everybody will understand. All right? You'll have the, you'll have the odd Judas about who will think that's a bit extravagant. What's that flag-waving thing all about? And what's that person doing laying on the floor? And what, what's that all about? And, and why are they dancing like Ryan Emerson? You know, on and on we could go. It's like all of it might. And you'll have people, you'll stir up the religious spirits, you see. And, and people won't like it. Not everybody will like it when you explain, display extravagance and passion in the kingdom, something about this. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. You'll become passionate. You'll become passionate. People who worship in this realm, I think, understand God in a different realm. Here's, here's a cool verse, one of my many favorites. Where do you see this? When they had prayed, the place. I love that little phrase. The place. The place. Where's your place? Where's the place? in which they gathered was shaken. And the Holy Spirit, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. You say, well, without filled in Acts 2, oh, they were, but they're filled again. 
And if you keep reading Acts, it'll be filled again, and it'll be filled again. That's what should happen every time we meet. We should be refilled. You see, I leak, and you leak, and we need refilled and refilled and refilled and refueled with this incredible Holy Spirit. You say, you couldn't have walked into that room and not felt an atmosphere. You couldn't have walked into that room you were having to hold. The room was shaken to its foundations. God had turned up. And so there, 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 there's, a, there's a moving, there's a, there's a power, probably tangible, and they were filled in the place. You see, prayer needs to be more than a theology. Prayer needs to be something that is, is passionate, and it needs to be about participation because everybody gets to play. It's not just one person at the front praying and everybody. And that's why Jesus said, when you pray, pray this way. Say, our Father, join with heaven. Join, put your hand in the hand of the Father and pull it into being. I love that song that we sing sometimes, Befriended. And one of the, one of the verses in it says, you're invited, invited deep into the mystery. Imagine us being invited to partner and do business with the King of Heaven, God Himself. And that's what happens because prayer influences heaven. And I want to be part of this, not just a belief in prayer, not just a doctrine of prayer, but a behavior of prayer, a passion of prayer, a conviction of prayer, a spirit of prayer. And that's why Wednesday nights are so, so important. You see, after 22 years, here's two massive observations of mine. Out of breath. One is when we when we come off the streets, when we when we don't have a presence on the street, something diminishes in our church. When we don't have a corporate prayer time, and we've tried it, Tyson and Grant can testify this. We tried all different things. We'll bring it into small groups. Far better three hundred people or four hundred people praying in small groups than seventy or eighty people in church. Nonsense doesn't work. All right, and small groups, you know this about small groups. You know, we'll drink tea, we'll eat buns, we'll do it all, we'll talk about whatever, and then, oh, it's quarter to ten. Will somebody close in prayer? That's prayer. And like, I know some are better than others, but that's probably right, isn't it? And it's because we're social. But there's something about corporately coming together as a body of Christ. And so, my challenge to you is this my challenge to you, please, as your dad, all right, I'm not beating you up, but you know. Some, some of you maybe come now and again, but some of you never come at all. It'd be great if just you would come and pray and lift, the, lift, lift this and shake this place. We're not precious about this place. Let's shake it to its foundations because there's something about, uh, about grabbing hold of heaven. I love this by Andrew Murray. It's a brilliant statement. He says, God rules the world through the prayers of his people. And then he asks this question. He says that God should have made the expansion of his kingdom in such a large extent dependent on the faithfulness of his people in prayer is an incredible mystery and an absolute certainty. The faithfulness of God's people is the thing that turns his hand to work. Folks, even our prayers, even our prayers bring the... The end times are full of our prayers. Here, here, here's the bowls, the golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. If your bowl of prayers were to be offered up this week, would it be a big bowl? How's your bowl of prayers going? <laughs> if, if your bowl of prayers were to be lifted into the heavenly realms and to be tipped out, would it, would it lavish Something and something, somebody. 
There's something about prayer. And the Bible is calling us to be people who pray over and over again. We see this. And, and I love this incense. The, the, it was this golden bowl full of incense. When you read about incense in the Bible, it's always involved with prayer. And, and if you study incense, you'll find that there were 11 ingredients in incense. There was one of the ingredients that actually made it go like a funnel shape right up into the, into the throne room of heaven. All of these ingredients did different things, but I can tell you this, it got in your clothes. It got in your clothes. I, uh, I did a barbecue for the first time last Saturday night, and it was lovely. And, um, and I go into bed, took the T-shirt off, sat it in a chair beside the bed, and I got up the next morning, and I went to throw the, the T-shirt in the wash basket, and guess what I could smell? Bar- oh, so lovely. Barbecue, I was going to work to church. Um, but uh, it's... it's uh, it's because it gets on you. It's an aroma, you see. And it's thick. And, and incense is a powerful aroma. It's a smoke that sticks to everything. If you were in the room, this wouldn't leave. You would carry the smell with you. Prayer is an aroma. And, and we carry it into every aspect of our lives. And my question is, what's your smell this morning? What do you smell of? What's the smell? What's the aroma? Are you carrying that anointing? Prayer is partnering with heaven. When you come to this passage on a few more chapters in Revelation, again, another angel came stood by the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar. Here we have it again. And he takes this censer filled, and he fills it with fire from the altar, and he fires it to earth. Imagine the prayers of the last 2,000 years. Imagine the prayers of the last 6,000 years been, been bowled up in heaven. And there's going to come a day when an angel in heaven is going to stand and he's going to take those thousands of years of prayer and he's going to light a fire under them and he's going to fire them for, fulfill, for fulfillment to earth. What a day that's going to be. What a day that's going to be when the prayers of the saints of old hit the earth in fury. And I want my, my prayers to be part of that thing because end times involve our prayers. And if you've been ever in a room where somebody prays just words and there's no emotion in them, they're, they're good words, but they don't have fire and they don't have passion. There's something about an atmosphere of expectancy when, when, we, when we stand and believe that there's a God of heaven and that he gives good gifts to his kids. And, and Jesus, even Hebrews 5, 7, I think it is, tells us that when Jesus prayed, he prayed with a massive burden of tears and cries. Even Jesus prayed like that. Jesus said, when you pray, not if, when you pray, you need to say, our Father, there's something about it. You see, you, 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 you need to get a mindset that God can come into your life, that he can change your life forever because prayer changes things. And prayer doesn't have to be just, it was never really meant to be mind to mind. I hear people saying this sometimes. Well, I just, I walk and I just connect with God in my thoughts. I do that too, and it's really lovely. But it's not going to bring heaven to earth. It's a little reflection. Let's call it what it is. And reflections are good. But you know, there's sometimes when it comes with one of your kids or, or something like that, that you get on your knees and, and your knees aren't even enough. You fall on your face and you cry out with all of your passion to heaven and you say, God, would you come? Would you bring heaven to earth? Would you deliver my child? Would you deliver this person? God, would you heal my friend? God, would you save our nation? Because something has to be lit under our prayers. We need passion. And if we don't, you see, incense never works without a fire. 
If you put incense on, on a cold stone, nothing happens. It'll just run off it. It has to have fire. And we need fire. Something needs to light in our, in, our, in our prayer life. And we need to apply some things. We need to understand that our communion with God is so vital. Powerful prayer is communion with God. And you can't have a fully lit or fiery spirit if you have no communion with God. Prayer was never meant to be that mind to mind. It was meant to be heart to throne, spirit to spirit. That's why it's good to have a, a prayer language. It's about relationship, you see. You partner with God. When you... When you pray, you pray this way. You say, our Father, our Father, we're connecting. I'm putting my hand into yours, God, because together we can do this. What I can't do, you can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. And we start to believe with a fresh expectancy. Prayer is invading the impossible. Your prayers go beyond the natural. They reach into another atmosphere and they bring that atmosphere down into ours. Jesus was continually bringing that atmosphere down. Why do you think the disciples said, Jesus, would you teach us to pray like that? You see, we pray and we can do all that, but there's something about help. There's, something, there's, a, there's an atmosphere that happens when you pray. God, would you teach us how to pray Jesus says, okay, here's how to pray. When you pray, say, our Father, partner with heaven. Put your hand into Dad's hand. Put your hand into the hand of Abba and partner in prayer. And Anything can happen. Anything can happen. Whenever we begin to do that, something happens. Prayer is standing in the gap. There's something about standing in the gap. Moses did this when, 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 when the children of Israel sinned with the golden calf and God says, I'm going to destroy them and wipe them out and all of that. And, 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 and if, if this, this is the children of Israel, Moses stood in between. He stood in the gap between them and God. And he said, God, you can't do that. You see, they're not actually my people, they're your people. And if you do that, all the nations that are going to say, well, you delivered them out of Egypt, but you couldn't look after them in the wilderness. So God, come on, settle down. Amazing, isn't it? And it says this, says this. Excuse me, it says that God repented. Look it up yourself in the Old Testament. Interesting, isn't it? Now the word repent there is not our New Testament word, of, but it means change of mind. In the Old Testament, I think it's metanoia or metanola, is that right? Um, it's a different connotation than the New Testament repent, but it's a changing mind. You say, somebody could change the mind of God. Oh, I, yeah. Yeah, Abram did it. Abram did it. Would you would you spare the city if there were fifty righteous people? God said, "Yeah, I'll do that." I changed my mind. I would say, "Would you do it for forty? Would you do it for twenty? Would you do it for ten? God says, "I'd do it for ten." I changed my mind. Prayer is so powerful. We have no idea the extent of our prayers. You see. Prayer is standing in the gap. Prayer is building a hedge. You see, I find that people who pray are people of petition. They're people who fear God. They're people who are brave. They're people who know how to stand in authority. And whenever we get to do this, and you see, whenever building a hedge is simple, really, because what happens, if, if you can imagine, if, if you're a parent in here and you can imagine your, your, your wee family like this, see, I'm a great drawer, aren't I? And here's your wee family. All, all you're doing, all you're actually doing is, 
is building a hedge around them. It's not a great thing to do. So my prayer every night, the last prayer I pray every night, I say, God, and I mention all my family by name, Laurie, and all the kids and all the grandkids, I mention them all by name. I say, God, would you put a hedge around them tonight as they sleep? My first prayer every morning is just say, God, would you, would you, would you bless them? I pray for a church family. It's the thing I pray all the time. God, would you put a hedge around them, a hedge of protection? Say, Phil, where do you get that? Well, the Bible's full of it, but one of the great examples is Job. Remember the devil said to, said to God, I can't get near him. I can't get near Job because you've, you've, you've a hedge around him. He said, I can't get near him. I'd love to rack him and, 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 and pull him asunder, but I can't near him because you've a hedge around him. I wonder how the hedge got around him. I wonder, could somebody have prayed it around him? I imagine they did. I imagine the reason there was a hedge around him was because somebody fell to their knees and said, God, would you put a hedge around Job and his family? And so, so important to do these things. And, and Johnny, do you want to come? We're going to finish with a song as I bring this to a conclusion, trying to land this airplane because it feels like it's just about 30,000 feet at the minute. But um, prayer is crying out to God. Prayer isn't, oh God, would you bless John? And would you heal his sore knee? That's not, that, that was lovely. But it, it's, it's not going to do anything. Prayer is grabbing holes of the lapels of heaven and saying, God, we need you. God, in your mercy and in your grace and in your power. You see, you see Jesus tells the story about the woman who went to the unjust judge and she just kept pestering him and pestering him and pestering him. And he, and he said, this, this judge couldn't care for God and he couldn't care for anybody. But he says, this woman's doing my head in. And so he give in to her. And if an unjust judge can do that, he says, how can heaven not do it? When we, just don't, when we go from asking, you see, there's a, there's a method of asking, and then it goes a little bit further, and it starts to go into seeking, and then it goes to knocking. And some things are won by asking. Some things are got by seeking. But some things we've just got to, we've got to knock on heaven's door. I prayed for a friend for 21 years. 21 years. I prayed every single day for him to find Jesus. He's not in the room this morning, so I can tell you this. And one night, one night, I, I, I plucked up the courage. He's such a close friend. I'd never, we just had this understanding. He knew where I stood. I, I knew where he stood. And one night, I, I, I burdened about him, and I fell on my face, and I said, God, would you save him? I can't imagine what heaven would be like if I'm there and he's in hell. I just couldn't cope with that. And so God said, well, why don't you save him? And so the next day, I said to him about his soul. I said exactly that. I said, I just couldn't cope if you were in hell and I was in heaven and that's all I'm going to say. I'll leave it there. The very next day, 21 years of praying, the very next day, he's driving down the road. The spirit of conviction hits him. He pulls into layby, lies over the steering wheel, gives his life to Jesus. What was it? Well, I'd asked long enough and I sought long enough and I thought it was about time. I started knocking the door and said, God, would you come through in this? Right. Prayer is total, where am I? It's a stretching out with expectation. God of faith and prayer is dependence on God. Listen, listen. We're going to sing a song. It's called All 
hail the Lamb. There's something about this, enthroned in high. His prayer will be our battle cry. I want to do this, and then I want us to pray. I'm going to pray a prayer, because there's something about lifting your voice. You say, you confess with your mouth. There's something about raising your voice, you say. There's something about it in salvation. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. He says, you have not because you ask not. There's something about your voice, you say. There's something about your voice. Let's get vocal. Let's break the spirit of intimidation. Let's just break the spirit of silence and the spirit of timidity and raise our voices to heaven and see heaven pull on the, on, on, on the, on the coattails, as it were, and bring heaven down to earth. Are you on for that? Can you go home expecting today for an answer to your prayers? Our prayer ministry team are at the back. They'd love, even during this song, if you feel you'd like to nip to the back and get them to pray for you. Let's not go home in shackles today. Let's not go home in chains today. Let's not go home with, with guilt and shame and, and intimidation. That's all stinking rotten stuff of the enemy. And you don't need to carry it anymore. You're a son. You're a daughter of the king. And if you aren't, you need to be. If you don't know Jesus in this room, then get it right today. Come and talk to us afterwards because you need to find your life and your footing with God. Let's stand and let's worship together. Let's sing this as our, as our sort of anthem. All heal the Lamb. Let's give it to Him. His praise shall be our battle cry. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.